Welcome to the Leadership Window Podcast with Patrick Jinks. Each week, through a social sector lens, Patrick interviews leaders and experts and puts us in touch with trends and tips for leading effectively. Patrick is an LSI certified leadership coach, a member of the Forbes Coaches Council, a best-selling author, award-winning photographer, and professional speaker. And now, here's Patrick. Welcome back to the Leadership Window. Yes, this is Patrick Jinx, leadership and strategy coach and president of the Jinx Perspective. Welcome to episode three uh, today. Uh, so our first episode was special because it was our first episode. Our second episode was special because we had our first guest. And this episode is special because we have our first in-studio guests. So uh, that's cool. Ron, you have a special honor there. You're the first in-studio <laughs> guest. You have to perform at a very high level here. Uh, yeah, folks, we're really excited. Welcome to the show. Today we have on uh, Ron Harvey, and I'm gonna, I could spend a lot of time talking about Ron and my, uh, my story of meeting you, and I'm going to tell a little bit about that. But uh, for those of you that, that don't know Ron already, Ron uh, if I were to sum it up, Ron helps leaders create a winning culture in their organizations. Uh, um, leadership is, we know we've talked a lot on already on this show and as well as our video channel about the importance of things like vision and all these things. Culture, that might be, that might be the number one thing a leader has to do. Um, and so Ron helps organizations create a winning culture that's aligned with the vision of the organization. He's a retired U.S. Army veteran with more than 34 years of leadership experience himself. His purpose is to make a difference. That's the title of his book that we'll talk about as well, by inspiring leaders to excel through learning, growth, and adding value to others. Ron serves as chairman for the Columbia Chamber Small Business Council. He serves on the boards of the Midlands Communities and Schools and the Carolina Virginia Minority Supplier Diversity Council. That's a mouthful. Yes, it is. Um, and uh, as a certified leadership coach, his clients and audiences, I think, describe Ron as motivating and engaging. And Ron's collaborated with small business leaders and government leaders at all levels to ensure that collaboration is conducted at the most effective levels for everyone. He has a specific passion and focus, and that is to add value. And as we said, make a difference because people always matter. I love that Ron, um, leadership is about people and the people always matter. So completely, incredibly honored that you would come on this show with me. It is an honor to be the first in studio <laughs> guest, Patrick. Yeah. You know, so I'm sure we're going to share a lot of information that's going to be fun. Um, and also very valuable to the people that are listening. So thank you for the honor um, that I can put in my book that I'm the first in studio guest. Uh, yeah, put that on your resume. First <laughs> yes. in studio guest on the leadership window. People will go, wow, this guy's the real deal. Um, no, no, very cool. And I and I also want to thank you um, for our listeners. Ron is um, one of the new members of our advisory board here at the Jinx Perspective. And we're not a nonprofit organization at the Jinx Perspective, but we serve nonprofits as our primary mission point. And so for uh, Ron to bring his corporate and military leadership skills to the table to help us design coaching and product for our nonprofit clients and just, just to help me and help the business um, think a little bit better. He's been doing that anyway, um, and now he's making made it official as a member of the advisory board. But Ron, I met you um, 
you correct me if I'm wrong, but I think I met you for the, I think the first time was at ATD. Yes. You were a presenter at the Association for Talent Development here in the Midlands, here in Columbia. Yes, yes. That was and, the first time we met. And it was the first ATD meeting that I had gone to. I was checking it out. I Years ago, I was a member of the ASTD before it was ATD when it was the Association, uh, American Society for Training and, and Development. development. And, um, so I checked, was checking out the Midlands, uh, chapter and, and, um, you were the speaker and blew me away. And I'm people that have listened to me and watch my, I have high standards for, <laughs> for speakers and presenters. You know, I'm just one of those like, like snobs that way. And man, I'm sitting there going, who is this guy? He's incredible. Some of the best yes. stuff, just your engagement with the audience um, what I've noticed about you is just the stuff rolls out of your head like like you're almost reading it, but your your, your recall of leadership tenants um, is so great. And I think over time, the way I've assessed it is, you are so clear on who you are and what your values of leadership are that it you don't you don't have to do much thinking about it when when something's on it it really rolls from you yeah and I, and that's probably where we get to today is is how does that naturally show up for me and you're right it's, it's years of experience but i think even where we are in in meeting i think i set the bar high just like you do and and there's some expectations that i want to manage for me and for the people that are that are giving up time to even listen to me or be in a room with me so I think that's why we connected is because we both have high expectations for for things to be right and to mm -hmm. be, you know, to a place where people can really use it. You know, there's enough fluff out there for people that they're tired of. Yeah. And so how do you add value where something can change someone's life or change your organization or change their family or change their community? You know, and that's really for me what leadership is at the end of the day. I think that's why we've made a connection and I agreed to serve on the board. So I'm honored first to be a guest, but I'm also honored to have a friendship you know, with someone that's really sharp at what they do in a different space. But, you know, we have some things similar, but we both are doing really, really great work. And I think we keep each other accountable by doing great work. I think you're right. And I, what I love about what you just said is not, yes, we have high standards for ourselves. Yeah. You couched it as my audience is expecting something. Though. Yes. And that's so to hold yourself accountable to, Hey, these people are here I mean, they're cheering for me. They want me to do well, but they're expecting value. Yes. That's why they came. Yes. So you're putting pressure on yourself when you do that. And I, that, that brings out excellence. That's awesome. Yeah. It makes you rehearse. It makes you really, when you, when you get up in the morning, there's never a conversation that I don't process in my mind. Mm. Now I'm still going to be authentic in the conversation, but yeah. also, you know, when I show up for you, I'll say, what is it that I need to do for Patrick? Mm. Mm. How, how do I show up and be authentic and be present and add value to the people that are listening to his organization, to him and to myself? And so, yeah, I process the conversation, but I'm very authentic. So there's nothing written down. Most people say, where are you getting the data from? I say, I don't do scripts. Um, mm -hmm. I, I speak from inside where, what do I feel? What have my experiences been? And what have I learned from the people that have been a part of my life that I can share that closes the gap for some people in leadership? All right, listeners, when when Ron walked into the, the studio, right? Yes. Or the studio, Ron. <laughs> when Ron walked into the studio, he said, I'm here to serve you. He put his phone down. He put his notes down. He sat back. He, he became present instantly. And he said the words, I think three times, I'm here to serve you. Yes. So Ron lives it. Uh, and I, you do, you live it. Uh, you made me think of this coin right here. Yes. You've, uh, so you've seen these. Yes. We, we coin people, you know, I have a military background. That's so right. We do what challenge do you, coins. That's right. Challenge. Okay. Yes. So, or, or commander coins. Yes. Yes. And so my, my, uh, oldest brother who passed away, um, uh, earlier this year, 
this was one that he was given. He spent his year in yes. and around the military. So he was in the, he was in the army and then he served as a civilian. He served the military his entire career. And David was a calibration technician or a metrologist <laughs> um, for the weapon systems on the F-16 Fighting Falcon jet. Wow. Now, you know this, for, for our listeners, a calibration technician and a metrologist, we're talking micro, 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 yes. micro accuracy kind of stuff, like no room for error, yes. very precise sorts of measurements. You know, you think it's kind of important on an F-16 weapon system yes, to, be, yes. to have it right. <laughs> So this coin, and he had a drawer full of these coins, just, I mean, yes. um, he had been handed them by his commanders for years uh, because of excellence. This one says, uh, the right data in the right place at the right time, every time. Yes. Now this, we're not talking about data right now, but what that says to me is excellence, intentional excellence, consistency and excellence. Yes. So I keep this in my pocket when I'm coaching, when I'm podcasting, when I'm facilitating a meeting, this is in my pocket. I, I oftentimes will take it out and just kind of hold it in my hand as a reminder. You have to do this excellent every time. Yes. You can't phone this in. You can't mail this in this time. Even with the system where I'm like comfortable with what I do, I still have to say, but how do I get more like every time? Yeah. Excellent. Every that, time. Which I think is super important. I mean, in, 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 the analogy that you use that your brother shared with you is when you think of leadership, do we think the same way he thought in his role and his job? Because getting it right is non-negotiable. Yeah. And I think sometimes we, we think we have tomorrow, we have the next opportunity with that person that depends on us. Even if you, for me, for leadership, Patrick, leadership is about serving those that depend on you the most when they need you the most. Mm. And when someone needs you and they're dependent on you, you're obligated to get it right. Here's the challenge though, right? What is right yes. in, in leadership? Right can be gray. I mean, there's, there's more than one right answer. Yes. Sometimes it's what's the best right yes. for this time. And am I willing to maybe get it wrong in the effort of getting it right? Like right is not as easily defined as it is when you're a calibration technician and as, as precise as it has to be, it's precise. You yes. know exactly what yes. the mark is in leadership. You don't always know exactly what the mark is. Yeah, I agree. That from my perspective, from my lens, that's very accurate. That's a true statement. What's right for the person you're serving? Mm. And that shifts from person to person. What's right and for what, them. Yeah, and okay. what, what's right for my, my 12-year-old daughter today can be absolutely ineffective tomorrow. Mm. And so do you pause long enough to be present, be in the moment? And what's right at go. that second? Because That's how you get the context. Yeah, that's how you get the context. Oh, that's good. That's yes. good. Yes. So for me, I tell people, and, and very rarely do I use right or wrong. I'm with you on that. I'll use effective or ineffective. Mm. Because I can measure that day to day. And so what I, you know, with 21 years of military service, my leadership style shifted and adjusted with everybody that I engaged because I met them where they were and what did they need. And that was super important, which means you got to pay attention. You and as a consultant, you, that same principle applies. Because here's something else I remember about you. I remember you telling me a story about a client who said, so Ron, how much do you charge to come in and do this? And you will hold on, hold on. Whoa, stop. What do you need? Yes. Like let's pause before I get into all my services and packages and yeah, I do lots of stuff, but what do you need and why? Yes. You pause them and stop them there. That So you're taking a leadership tenant into your consulting business. I think, and I think for, for everything that you do, there are tenants in leadership that apply to 
everything that we do in life. And that's why leadership is so relevant and mm-hmm. so important. And, and the one ingredient, if, if you can develop people to be that intentional about leadership, almost anything is capable. I mean, you can get almost anything done, but literally for us as an organization, or even for what I'm talking with you, is that I pause and say, what is it that you need at this moment? Mm-hmm. Not, not what I came to do. Mm-hmm. I came to serve you. And whatever that service looks like is almost like what's, you can train the palate. You know, when kids are born, they don't have a taste for anything specifically. It's because of their family and what they feed them consistently that they train the palate of a kid. So if I can train the taste buds of a kid or the palate of a kid, I can train the palate of a leader. And I don't think we pay attention to what's the appetite enough. It's more about what we are thirsty for or hungry for. I literally walk into an organization and begin to train based on what they're asking for and help them become aware of what's really happening. And I think listening is the most important thing that I've learned to do as a leader. And not listening because I want to sell them anything or give them anything. Listening so I can figure out where do I fit into this equation and become an advisor before I become someone that's going to give them anything. So in that case, your clients are literally helping you develop new content. Yes. Because you're not just giving them some canned thing. You're having to come up with, once you listen and find out what they need, then it's the creation of, if not content, how do I frame these principles and content in a way that will get to them. So they're actually refining your business when you come at it from that approach. Absolutely. It's a partnership. Even for our company, all of our clients, we shifted to the word partnership intentionally because it's like going to see my doctor. If I just went into my doctor, you know, asked a couple of questions, say, Hey, by the way, here's, here's what I'm going to do versus, Hey, let me figure out where you are. Let me figure out what's happening with you. Let me tell you what I know and what I've been exposed to and some past experiences. Here's what we're going to do to address this thing that you came in here with. That's a partnership. And so for me, I'm literally, they've refined my business and they'll continue to refine my business, but I'm also paying attention to how do I refine what they're trying to get accomplished. So most of, most of our partners will tell you, we co-create everything we do. Everything we do in our organization is co-created by the, what our partners are needing. Because in the entrepreneurship, if you're not doing something that people need, why should they invest in it? Mm. And, it and that, that target moves all the time for them. Every single day that target is moving. COVID has shifted it for everybody. So for our company, we had to really figure out what's needed, not what we were good at yesterday, what's needed today that we can become good at with their assistance. I think this is why you've blown up so quickly. I mean, when I met you, what, what four years, five yeah. years? Four? Probably four years. Yeah, Some, I think something like that. Yes. You were just really getting this global core stuff going. Yes. And boom, like you blew up to like, this thing is like a real deal now. And when I talk to you about what's making that, like, what, what are you doing? You never tell me, Oh, I'm marketing here and I'm advertising over here. And I'm, you say relationships Yes, and I bring value Yes, and I'm listening. And so it's the, when you bring your passion and your mindset and your approach, the business grows itself. Yeah. I mean, and you're hitting on to exactly all of the things that are important in our organization. Um, I use the word quite often in our organization, Patrick. I call it relationship equity. I say it's 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 just as important as whatever the client can pay you, but relationship equity will get you things money can't get you. Mm. And that's super important because, you know, the reason I'm here when you make a request to me because of our relationship, it was an easier yes versus uh let me see what else is on my schedule and can I really fit this in? Yeah, for our listeners, I'm not paying Ron to be on this program. Exactly. And, and Patrick asked me, say, hey, Ron, what's your schedule like? You know, do you have availability? I say, no, Patrick, you're good. Here's what time, you know, I have a hard stop time, but I also have something on my calendar. I say, no, we're okay if we move that. What do you need? Mm-hmm. It's the relationship that allows that conversation to happen mm-hmm. and that, that, that navigation to happen. And so for anybody that's in a leadership role, 
I will tell you, just take and evaluate how much equity do you have in the relationships that you need to get things done. Mm. And most of us, it's, it's very transactional. It's not transformational at all. Right. It's a, I need this, you need this, let's trade, let's trade. That's not leadership. Well, that's, in, that's an important tenet for, for leaders inside companies. Yes. Because you know, there's, there's a lot of academic study around transactional leadership versus transformational leadership inside your company. Yes. Transactional is you're an employee. This is what I'm going to pay you. Yes. This is the indeliverable I need from you. That's the transaction. Yes. Whereas transformational leadership is the real art of leadership, which is I'm going to draw out of you your best because we're transforming the mission. We're transforming your own experience. We're transforming our relationship. And so the, the good leader finds a way to get the best contribution out of the employee, yes. not out of a transaction, but out of autonomy and, and out of competence and out of relationship and relatedness to the mission. Yeah. Because, I mean, in, because it's a partnership, if it's a really good leader, mm-hmm. I mean, I have a 12 year old daughter, even though I'm her father, it's a partnership. And I walk in, what is, what is it that I'm in her life for? Because, you know, whatever that thing is, regardless of the, the father role that I'm, that, I'm a, that I'm responsible for, how do I partner with my 12-year-old for her to become what she's supposed to become, irregardless of what I may think? Because whatever she's supposed to be is already there. I have one function, help her get there. Mm-hmm. That's, that's the real function for, for me as a father, is whatever my kids are supposed to be or whatever, you know, the people that I do partnerships with, whatever it is that they're trying to get, my function and my role is very specific. How do I turn that into a yes by paying attention to what they're saying? And oftentimes I think we get caught up in, in our own agenda. If you ever watch me do a presentation, I have five slides and I'll, I'll literally tell our audience, the slide is a guide. The work is in the room. Yeah. Let's do the work. Yeah. The, the slide is just to get us back out of the weeds. It's and a reference us, point. Yeah, it's a reference point when we get, when we get disorganized, but it's not the work. The work is going to be in us. And I want to, if one slide stays up for 30 minutes or an hour, that's fine as long as we're doing the work. Mm-hmm. And so I think oftentimes we walk in with an agenda, what we want to get accomplished and how smart we are. Once you are in the room, Patrick, as a leader, you've arrived. You don't need to prove yourself anymore. You just need to do the work. Mm-hmm. Wow. So all of the stuff that we're talking about so far, uh, and I think anything we would say about leadership would fit within this. Let, let's talk about that word culture. Yes. Um, how, so one of the, one of the things I know that global global core um, does is help organizations with culture and with behavior change. Yes. How do leaders create culture? Yeah. You know, when you think of culture first, you know, when, when you do talk about culture is how people really behave. There are a lot of organizations that you and I both have come in, in contact with that have nice visions and mission statements and, 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 and value statements. Oh yeah, I mean, this is how we say we behave. Yes. <laughs> but what? How do you really do it? What What really happens when a customer is not happy, or what happens when an employee has COVID and 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 they can't make it in and they got two kids, and and what happens when someone loses a loved one? All those things that are that are part of life for real in organizations. And so when you watch what happens in organizations with culture, it's what. What's the real action of the leaders? Because the CEO has a good vision and they're pretty solid and they're from the top leading it, but it's the middle level management and mm-hmm. the people that haven't developed yet that's going to actually define what your culture is. And so we, we stop and pause the organization and say, let's put you in scenario-based leadership development. Let's, let's think of as many scenarios that happen, not, not hypothetically, that have happened in your organization. 
that you want to address. One of our major clients, you know, brought us in and they were like, well, we're doing really, really good because of, of where we are as a society. Their diversity is a hot topic. Everybody's talking diversity mm-hmm. and, and rightfully so. But to you can't train, you know, diversity. I, I don't I don't believe in training for diversity. I think that's nice. But here's the reality. If the culture is going to change when you're dealing with diversity, it's what are you really going to do? What's the real work and why mm-hmm. are you doing it? You know, so our clients say, hey, well, we're doing great here, great here, great here. And I say, that's fine. Let's look at your numbers. And when I looked at the numbers, I saw the Asian population. If you extracted that out of their organization, Patrick, they weren't doing as great as they thought they were. But they made the numbers look the way they wanted them to. And I say, so now tell me what you're going to do that's going to drive it where your culture is where I want to work at. Not because I have to pay bills, but because I want to show up. I want to give you my best. I, I want you to be successful. I want you to thrive. I want you to go past what you can ever believe. What's the everyday conversation? How, how are you recognizing people? How are you appreciating people? Because what we do know as an organization, there's a difference in tolerate and appreciate. Yeah. And if I'm tolerating you, I'm not giving you my best. I'm just waiting and watching the clock for you to leave or for me to leave or for me to find another job or, or for the end of the day. And I'm, I'm a clock watcher. i actually see you as my boss when you're coming up from tolerating you. I, I see you coming and I'm trying to figure out how to find something else to do to look like I'm busy. Appreciation is so much different. Mm. I actually see people when I, when I walked into your home today, it's like, man, I haven't seen you in a minute. There's an appreciation. There's a, Hey, let's figure out how to get through this thing and let's have a real conversation authentic. So appreciation allows people to be authentic. Mm-hmm. Toleration, people are trying to find an extra strategy. And mm-hmm. so we talk about in the organization, let's let's measure the feedback on how many people appreciate working here. And why do they appreciate working here? What is it that you're doing organically for that to happen? And what is it can you do differently for that to happen in a manner that you want it to happen? Here's how we measure it. We ask all of our all of our partners when we first start with them, if we Google you one year from today. What do you want us to find? Mm. What is it that you want? Not because you you put it out there and you, you, you front loaded it, but it's what you really want to find. And then we just reverse engineer and say, what are all the things that have to happen for that to be a Google report a year from today? That is such a great analogy because let's talk about Google search engine for a minute. It takes time to get in the listings of yes. Google and uh, see if I can articulate this is it ran through my head really fast. As you said it, the analogy is even deeper, I think, which is, yeah. What do you want Google to say a year from now? It helps you with vision, but what, what it takes to get Google, a Google listing over the course of a year is a lot of iterative work and ongoing work and aggregate work and cumulative work to build those search engines up where when they search a particular set of phrases now, because of the data that's been in there, you come up. So leadership is, if you said a year from now, what will you have done iteratively, transformationally, consistently, cumulatively, where when people think of visionary leadership or when they think of, they care about their people or when they think of culture, your image starts coming to mind now because you've built a set of data that the algorithm can now see that doesn't happen overnight. No. And I think you're, you're spot on. So when you think of culture, exactly the way you just laid it out. And I asked our partners, those questions, 
then they begin to figure out what what the real work is mm-hmm. because you're not going to get to a culture in, in, in by one conversation or by making one right decision or by paying people as much as you can pay them. You'll find people that'll come in as long as you pay them well, they'll be there. Doesn't mean they're doing their best work. So it takes a lot of work and a lot of intentional steps and a lot of great people to literally show up in culture the way you want it to show up. Mm-hmm. And it's not something that happens just because you have you know, um, the, the best waiting room or you got some games because people at one point were putting a lot of games and a lot of places for people to, to have a good time. And it worked for a certain period of time until it gets tough. Here's the reality. If you build a culture, you can withstand just about anything that's going to come across. Cultures like the roots of, a, of an oak tree. Mm-hmm. They run really, really deep. And if yeah. they don't run deep, people leave quick when the wind starts to blow. Yeah. Culture transcends individuals and their terms and their tenures and their models. And, you know, everyone has quotes the old Druckerism, yes. you know, culture eats strategy for <laughs> yeah. breakfast, um, which I don't think anyone's ever proven that he actually said it, but it's a good, it's a good, yes. it's a good Druckerism. Um, yeah. But yeah, yeah, that's right. It's um, it, it, it has to, it has to transcend all the other moving parts. And I think the important part is Patrick, the work that we do, once you teach it, it helps an individual in all aspects of the life. They get to take it to the boys and girls club. They get to take it mm-hmm. to their business meetings. They get to take it to their churches. They get to take it to their families. They get to take it to the communities that they're walking the dog in. It becomes contagious because who wants to be a part of a bad culture? I haven't seen that. I haven't seen people that just show up and say, hey, just put, immerse me into that. That's what I've been looking for all my I, life. I've seen people that seem like they want to be in a bad culture. <laughs> yes. Don't you? Like, what, yes. what are you, are you enjoying this? <laughs> Yeah. Yes. Yeah. Hey, let me uh, talk about the book for a minute. Can I? Yes. So uh, the book is just make a difference leading under pressure. And I'm going to be brutally honest with you because we have a relationship. So the cover of it, um, and I'm going to, I'm going to highly recommend this. Okay. The the cover of it, great picture. And you just make a difference. Ron Hart. And I'm like, I've heard this, this is going to be an amazing book. And I bought it on Amazon. I don't know, 15, 16 bucks, you know, and I got it and it's, it's not very thick. No, it's right? not thick at all. It's no. not thick at all. Yeah. It's what it's what you might call an airplane. Read, it right? is. You can get through this probably quicker than that. That's a long. Quicker, that's, that's, that's a short long, flight. Yeah, that's Charlotte to Columbia. It is a short, yes. short read. Yes. And my first thought was, wow, you know, he could have put so much more in this, and I was wrong, because you can read it fast and say you read the words. Yes. Or you can go back page by page and pause for a minute. And there's some real depth. So what I found when I went through this the second time was Patrick pause and think about why this book is the way it is. Yes. Just think about what, what read the page. What is it saying to you? Yes. And really many of these pages are indictments on me. Um, uh, cause I don't get a lot of this right, but I'm going to give you an example. And I'm also going to have you tell the story is like, if I recall correctly, did your, wasn't your, didn't your wife play a role in pushing you to do this because you had, Ron, you've got all these great one-liners. Didn't you tell me? Yeah, my wife is, my wife is the, the number one reason that I've actually done that. Okay. So I think, yeah, we'll get to that story, but yes. So I want to talk about some of these. Okay. Because the, here was, here was the indictment on me the, and my uh, people I coach and the people that I work with, the people that know me will know, oh yeah, I could see where this would be a challenge for Patrick. <laughs> Here it is. Be patient because change doesn't come at your pace. Yes. 
<laughs> I, I, I could have read that a few years ago and saved myself a whole lot of heartache as a leader. No doubt. No yeah. kidding. I move fast. I see, I see an idea. I'm like, why just go, let's make it, make this guess, make this happen. People let's go. You gotta, you gotta bring people along at a rate they can handle. Yes. Or it all implodes. It's not about how fast I want to move. And this one, I, I still have to go back and keep re be patient, be patient. Um, I'm not, and, I'm not yeah, good that, at patience. And that's, that's important, Patrick. When you, th- when you think about leadership, and you go back to my, my my fundamental definition of leadership is serving those that depend on you the most when they need you the most. Mm-hmm. What I figured out really, really quick is that people show up in a room at a, from a different point because we have what we call experiential blindness. And what that means is that people see based on their experiences and there are things that I've never been exposed to or they've never been exposed to, but I'm expecting them to process it as fast as I process it. Mm-hmm which was unfair because now I'm looking at them as though they're not a team player or, or they don't deserve to be here versus what's my role in this change process. And so I had to really realize how do I slow down? You know, most people that know me say, Ron never really gets upset about anything. He never pushes it fast. He never goes too slow. He literally says, where are you at? Let me meet you there. Because I don't think as a leader, you, you get to take people on a journey until you connect with them, which requires patience. And, and they may be where you want them or they may be ahead of where you are. And so I had to figure out how do I show up patient enough, not because my position required it, because I cared enough. And that's therein lies the difference. And that is what you're talking about. This is a book about leadership. It's not a book necessarily about personal performance. So I'm figuring out as I coach leaders on this, I'm having to go, hey, listen to yourself. And that is that if I'm working on my own project, the launching of this podcast, it was all on me. Yes. I didn't have to wait on anybody and be patient and, and t- bring people along. This was on me as my project. You want to do it or don't you want to do it? Yes. What's it going to take? Well, I got to set this up. I got to set that. Up. I got to get it to all the channels. I got to have, I got to have equipment. I got to get gas. I got all on me. I move as fast as I want. Yes. It's when others are involved and you're in a leadership role, not a high performance, yes. a high individual performer role where this other stuff comes in. Which is beautiful. I mean, I think that's the point that someone that people that are listening, Patrick, if they just pause along up to hear what you just said. If if you if you want to get something done fast, performance counts because it's just you. But if you want to stay in this for a long period of time and go a lot further, mm-hmm. it's going to require you to be in a leadership role, which isn't about your performance. Yeah. Not not from a technical aspect, if you will. Leadership is about can you pull people together to get things accomplished? that that everybody benefits from and, yeah. and and it's not based on your own horsepower then no and, and it's but it's still frustrating for people like me it yes. really is because yeah. you know I, i've heard the saying if you want to go fast go alone if you want to go far go together yeah and i listen to that and i get it and i'm like oh what a great one line and then but then i get ticked off at it yes. because it's like why can't you go fast together <laughs> <Yes>. <laughs> come on <laughs> Um, and I, you know, it depends on what you're leading and what the circumstances and what's at stake in terms of speed. But, but I, I think that's where I've drawn, drawn the line to really get a little bit understanding of it about myself, which is important. I mean, I think that's where it starts at for all of us. And when you, when you start thinking about us, I think every leader automatically has to start with self automatically. Yeah, yeah, no doubt. Because it's, it's easy to identify what's happening over there. Even, mm-hmm. you know, we did a work, we did a, a, a call this morning and we were talking about managing conflict. I said, well, c- can you see yourself in the conflict? Not what's, what's happening right, to right. you, but, but 
can you see you and what's happening with you? What's my role? Because you say they're doing this to me, they're doing this to me, this is happening, they're saying this, and, and that may all be true. What's happening around you or to you is not as important as what's happening in you. Because what's happening in you is bigger than what's happening that everybody gets to see and what you're feeling. But what's happening in you is going to drive your next activity, your next mm-hmm. behavior, your next mm-hmm. conversation, your response. What's happening in you? Can you pause along and say, hey, you know what? This is really getting under my skin. Got it. Check it. But what do I need to do to make a difference for the person that's in front of me? Because that's what leadership is about. Yeah. Is making a difference for that person. I strive to give people what they can't give themselves. And I do that without keeping score of how much I do for them. Yeah. Because if you get if you keep score of how much you do for people and, and you go about a month or, or a year or two <laughs> and they haven't done anything for you, you're ready to throw the towel in. Yeah. So how do you keep score? You know, how do you do more for people without keeping a score on people? Yeah. Well, when it's your mission and your business, what you're doing for them is the score for you. Yes. Like that is the score. Yes. So I I love that. So, but I'm going to a little, I want to get your brain on this one now. So I read the patience one and then a few pages later, I'm going to read one that sounds maybe slightly contradictory. Yes. I know it's not. And I know you're going to tell me why it's not, but it, but it sounds a little different, right? Here it is. Stop shrinking back to safety and surge forward to success. Yes. So pay, this page over here says, be patient. Yes. Right. Not everyone goes at your pace here. It says, stop shrinking back to safety, surge forward to success. Yes. Talk yes. about the difference there. Yeah. And the difference, the difference between the two, when, when you, when you think about patience, it's about other people. It's about like giving processing, giving people, giving people time to process change at a pace that they can digest it at. So it's really about other people and, and your patience with those individuals to learn. The other one is shrinking back as a leader. This is more about you now. So it's taking and, and taking this compass and putting it right in your lap. Say, hey, what is it that you want to get accomplished? What have you been dreaming of? Don't don't shrink back to this thing that, that's safe for you to perform in. What is that real goal? Is it like when I started our company, Patrick, it would have been easy for me not to start it. I would have shrunk back to a military mm-hmm. background, oh, safe yeah. and secure. And I would have just stayed in this place. Nah, I'm not going out there and, and swim with the piranhas. And a friend of mine said, hey, why not? What is it that you're shrinking back to? What are the self-limiting beliefs that's holding you back? And so when I when that came up, I I came up with a phrase. I said, "Man, I said it comes." It came a time when I had to stop shrinking to a place that was safe, and and because becoming great requires you to be visible, which means you can't shrink back to this place where you can't be seen. You and I are in a business now where we we kind of got to be visible. Mm-hmm. People want us to be visible. They expect for us to be visible. So we can't shrink back when it gets hot or it gets uncomfortable or a conflict shows up or people disagree or someone doesn't like what we did. You just step in and engage in that conversation. So leadership is not always safe, yeah, that's but right. always necessary. Yeah, that's right. And, and in our work, we both help leaders become more visible. Yes. Not because it's about them, but because their people expect one of the, one of the things that I find most consistent in the challenges I coach is I coach a lot of leaders in the nonprofit sector. Yes. So there's a lot of servant leadership mindset Yes, as we're on a mission. We're here to help people. I love servant leadership. It's great. But oftentimes the boards and the staff of these leaders, when we do their three sixties, they tell us our leader needs to be more assertive. Our leader needs to be more visible out in the community. Our leader needs to have a, a more, 
uh, direct point of view about where we're headed, like a clear, so that servant leadership sometimes can be mistaken. You know, it can be, it's, it's more pull back. I'm here to kind of serve. I get it. You want to serve people, but there's a balancing act because people want leaders that they, that they're con that have confidence. Yes. Yes. And I think that's super important for you. I, I don't, when you, when you think of when a, when a, Let's just use COVID. Let's just use anything that's happening right now, the racial injustice, the COVID, the kids in school or not in school and people. People are looking for people that's going to show up and make a decision and going to stand solid on whatever that may be for each one of us. I'm looking for that leader that's going to stand solid, tell me where they stand, tell me what their vision is, tell them what what decisions are they making that's that's going to address whatever this thing may be in front of us. If, If I'm looking for someone that's going along to get along, that's that's keeping the keeping the peace. Sometimes leadership is not keeping the peace. Mm. It's about not letting the pieces break apart. Yeah. And 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 not everybody's gonna be on board. So there are times in our organization, I'll tell you in our first year when we started our company, Patrick, because of our military background, my wife and I, we were all over the US flying everywhere, but nobody knew us in Colombia. That mm. bothered me internally because I say the place where I pay taxes, the place where my kids go to school, the place where I shop, the place where I eat. We're not doing anything for this community, not from a, a place of revenue, because, you know, it wasn't about revenue. Mm-hmm. Otherwise, I still build an aircraft. I said, nobody knows. We're not making an impact where we live at. Mm-hmm. I stopped all of our travel for a year, mm-hmm. the entire year. I said, we're not traveling. And until we are known and doing work in our own backyard, we're not going on another cra- aircraft to travel to any other state. Everybody wasn't happy with that decision. But it was necessary for us to get grounded. And what do, what do we stand for? Because I'm always saying people always matter. I'm always saying, where do we serve to make a difference for where we live? And we weren't doing it. You know, if you go to in the book, there's a, a, a phrase that I use all the time. I don't think there's a day goes, goes by that I don't use it. And it says, does your audio match your video? Right. Yeah. Yeah. We've used that too. It's true. Got to be in sync. It got to be in sync. Because otherwise, if I can't, what? here's what I tell people. People will watch what you say and listen to what you do. Which means your actions are louder than your words. That's just the era we live in. People watch what you say and listen to what you do. I don't mean to make I don't mean to make light of what you just said, but it reminds me, you know, the old comedian Stephen Wright, <laughs> yes. his little dry one liners. <laughs> yes. He says, hey, I, I like to sit around in my chair <laughs> and and re, and listen to audio books and and read music. <laughs> yes. And think about it. That's, that's like, what it is. Yeah. That's what it really is. I mean, because more people, if, if you say that you're, you really care about people and you, you're, you're someone that, that's going to connect with people, people watch to see if you do it. Yeah, that's right. I mean, you, you have phenomenal books out. I mean, Patrick is, is phenomenal at the work that he's doing. He has books out there, but I can absolutely tell you, regardless of what's written in those books, they're watching your behavior. They're mm-hmm. watching how you do on the podcast. They're watching how you engage in the community. They're watching that you and I cross all the lines that you and I can cross to do great business for this community, which we've done. I mean, so you think about the first time we talked, both of us are trying to figure out how do we be a viable business? It wasn't about revenue for either one of us. How do we stay connected? And be relevant. We, yeah, be relevant for this community. That's what people are watching. Yeah. Because we're struggling, literally struggling right now in our, in our society of, of bringing us together to do things that's for the entire community. It starts with that authenticity. There, uh, one of my favorite definitions of leadership 
and he's changed it since then. And I wish he hadn't because <laughs> I liked his original. But Kevin Cashman is a world class executive coach. Uh, at one point, he may still be. He was with Corn Ferry yes. Consulting, and he's a best selling author. It wrote one of the best books I've ever read on leadership called Leadership from the Inside Out. Yes. And it's about these shadow beliefs and yes. things that you talk about. But um, Kevin Cashman is his name, and he defined leadership as authentic self-expression that creates value. Yes, solid. So three-legged stool, it's got to be authentic. Yes. People see through the superficial eventually. Some people are really good. (laughs) They put on a great front, and it'll last a little while. Right. Yes. But but if you're if you if you're leading people, they'll see pretty quickly through that. Yes. The second thing, it has to get expressed. If it doesn't get expressed, how can it lead? So we think things, you know, we go in a board meeting and we think, oh, they're heading down a bad path. I don't like, and then we don't say anything till yes. we're out in the community and then we badmouth the board yes. for making a bad decision. So that's not leadership. But the third thing, it has to create value. It has to. And so we all know authentic self-expressors, yes. right? Oh, I just say whatever's <laughs> on my mind. If it comes through my mind, it comes out. That's just who I am. You'll just have to deal with it. Well, that's great. That's authentic. It's expressed. Doesn't but doesn't have any value. But it doesn't have value. So that authentic piece is what you're talking about. That yes. has to come first because people yes. see that through too quickly. If you're serving, if you're serving, it has to be transparency. It has to be authentic to add value. I, I love it because oftentimes people, well, I'm just me. Well, if, if you being you is destroying what you're trying to get accomplished, why wouldn't you pivot? Why wouldn't you change if you're trying to get this thing accomplished? And I think leaders oftentimes, I, do, I know for sure that you didn't get promoted because of what you've done in the past. You got promoted for what you can do, which is really about people. Right, right. And, and I think we get confused as leaders sometimes is what are we there for? Mm. And, and, and that important part, you know, um, as Patrick said, is, you know, audio matching the video. In, in the book, I have to give my wife credit. You know, I do a lot of work. Um, not very good at capturing all the time what's happening and people take notes. And my wife just did it for a year. And she laid it in front of me, Patrick said, hey, have you ever like paid attention to the stuff you're saying? I'm going to let you read some things. Tell me who said this. Yes. <laughs> it was like, no, I don't really. She's like, people are, are taking this and you're making a difference. She said, you, and she said, and the title came from that. She said, you're making a difference. I said, okay, that's it. Just make a difference. Yeah. And, and just drop things in there. And so it's not a long read, but it's just little phrases that have worked for me from the time I've been in the uniform in a leadership role to where I am today and it continues to help me because here's what I did learn in, in, in my military leadership. And for, for people that are listening that are, that are military background, the military will allow you to be the meanest leader you want to be. They'll actually reward it depending on where you fall within the military. So it's I had still combat, the case today. Yeah, I'm combat arms background. And so you can show up as the person that gets on everybody's nerves and, and it'll, to a certain degree, it's, it's welcomed. I didn't want to be that person. I chose to, you know, I can remember one of my leaders saying, hey, you, you know, people like you too much, so that's holding you back. I said, I'm okay with that. <laughs> Here's what I'll share with every leader, Patrick. There's, there shouldn't be anything that people can do to you and I. If your character is this, nobody else's behavior should change your character. If it's your character, why is someone else dictating it? Mm-hmm. And so as a leader, I walk in the room saying, no matter what's happening around me, I want to stay true to what's important to who I am. And most people take and measure who they are by their degrees and their job and their car and their house. But at the end of the day, who are you? And most leaders struggle at that because they're associated with some of the materialistic thing that's important. No, at the end of the day, when you know me, you say, no, Ron is a really good guy. He's a good connector. He's down to earth. He'll help you or whatever. He's a helper. He's a server. He's distant. Most people don't even know my degree. 
most most people don't know all those things that people measure themselves by because mm-hmm. if you ever watch people when I speak, I don't let them do an introduction. I said, just introduce me as Ron Harvey. Uh, well, I didn't give you a choice today. Yeah, and, and, and I appreciate <laughs> it. I mean, it's, it's, it's awesome because people that are listening that don't get to see us, yeah. I think it's necessary, but I tell people, I'm going to tell you about me the entire time that we're talking. That's right. That's good. You're going you're gonna, to you're gonna get to know me. You're going to get to know me. Mm. And, and it'll stick a lot longer. We, I found that out in job interviews years ago. So I used to, and, and this, I did not invent this. I picked it up from someone and then I stole it and used it religiously in job interviews when I'm interviewing a candidate. Yes. One of the, what's the first question you get asked in a job interview? Tell me about yourself. Tell me about yourself. <laughs> yes. What's the first thing they tell you? They read their resume <laughs> yes. to you. Yes. I didn't ask you to read your resume to me. I said, tell me about you. Tell me about yourself. The looks on people's faces when you pause and, and I'll do it like that. I'll let them talk. And then I'll say, that was really good. I appreciate that. But I can read that right here. Yes. I asked you to tell me about yourself. Take another shot at it. The looks on their faces are priceless. Like, yes. Oh, man. Okay. Like, no one's ever said that to me yeah, before. Yeah, do you really want to know about me? Like, really? Yeah, yeah. yeah. I want to know about you. Yeah. You're who yeah. I'm hiring. I'm not hiring this piece of paper. Yes. Yeah, that's good. All right, I want to ask you another one in the book. Become a leader that people truly trust. And then you can lead them. So I know this is like a huge, um, you know, ethereal question that I'm expecting a podcast length answer for, but <laughs> how do you build trust in your view? What are maybe the two or three key tenets of building trust and creating the trust? If I have to have the trust before, and there's a default level of trust that comes, I guess, with with position, but that's not the trust you're talking about. No, not at all. So how does a leader build that? What are the key, you know, two or three sort of broad tenets to that? Be, be authentic. Get, let people know you. Leaders walk in, Patrick, and I always say, you know, they have this book and they know about it. They, they tell people to tell them about it so they can get to know them. But leaders are not as transparent. And, and so when you want to build trust, the more people know, the more they'll show. And what I mean by that is the more you know about me, the more you're sure about yourself. That's right. And so to build trust, show some, show, show your hand, be human, be authentic, be transparent. Mm. Tell people about when, when you didn't get it right all the time, tell people about where you're struggling. That doesn't mean overshare, but to not share anything doesn't build any trust. And, and so I think that's super important is that the more you show the more, the, the more that you show people will start to show you as well. And so you got to show something. And the other thing is, is make sure that you follow through on, if you say that you're going to do it, you have to do it. People don't want to hear excuses. Do what you say. Yeah, you got to follow through. Your audio has to match your video. You know, and, and so for me, what's worked really, really well is I'm always staying engaged. I'm always meeting people where they are. I'm always asking questions. I'm always allowing people to know who I am. I'm, I'm pretty transparent. That's where, you know, you see me pull out the bio. I say, look, guys, I don't do bios because I'm here to serve you. That's why I don't do the bio. Second part is I'm going to tell you that I'm married. I'm going to tell you about my kids. I'm going to tell you about a real experience. I'm going to help you understand I'm a human being using the same principles that we're going to talk about today in my everyday life. Mm. And when you become a, a human being, I think people begin to to give you space. Now, here's what I will tell, you know, the, the real quick answer here. If you're in a leadership role, you're going to earn every ounce of trust that your people give you but you're going to give away trust to the people that depend on you. Mm, mm, mm. Covey says that one yeah. of the, one of the 13 behaviors to drive trust that he says is to extend it. Yes. 
You have to extend trust to build trust. Yes. You have to automatically. And you're going to earn all of yours. I mean, so I learned in the military that when I walked in, I said, look, guys, I trust you until you give me a reason that I, that I have to look. Mm-hmm. And I don't even say mm-hmm. for me not to trust you until you give me a reason to pay more attention. Mm-hmm. <laughs> I, but here's what I will tell you. At the end of the day, I'm, I'm okay with earning your trust. And I know I have to. You just tell me what that looks like and, and what's a deal breaker for you. What's your expectations of, of me as your leader to get you to where you want to get to? You're back to listening. Yes. Back to that listening construct. I'm curious with your military background. I'm, I'm always curious about military leadership. I was never in the military, but I have family around me that was. My dad was. So we grew up a brat and lived all over the place and learned a lot of the tenants. Are you in then? If, if you, if you, hey, I know, yeah. I know. That's, that's I true people, to yes. a degree. The family's in. And I say this because for all the military people that are listening, oftentimes we, we minimize. I used to minimize when people told me thank you when I walked through the airport until mm-hmm. I realized how important it was to them. Yeah, my family traveled and moved and did everything. So for the families that are listening, or you know, military members, your your family is actually serving. That, with that's you. I, that's really I wouldn't true. have made it without a family. Yeah, it just wouldn't have happened because that's the place where you get to come back and and, and decompress, and they're there to wrap wrap their yeah. arms around you. So, yeah. for the families that are that that have been there with their families, it's super important. That, that's good. That's really good. I've always been curious about the differences between leadership in the military and leadership everywhere else because. Yes. We all have this picture of the military, right? The drill sergeant. (laughs) That's leadership. Like I do, you say, no questions asked. It's command and control. It's hierarchy. (laughs) I outrank you. That's that's it. That's leadership. And I'm finding with my work with leadership systems, that has changed in the military a a good bit. Um, and, uh, And so what has been your experience both in what has changed and what are still the differences between military leading in the military and leading in a corporation or a nonprofit or a small business? Yeah. All phenomenal questions. I think the set it up right for people. We in the military location, location, location is the fundamental attribution to decision-making for leaders. So if I'm, if I'm deployed location matters, my leadership style is going to be different because it's more life threatening. If, if, if I'm not deployed and I'm just on Fort Jackson and, and, and I'm, I'm in a really, really safe environment, I'm not going to respond as quick. I'm going to give them a room for input. I'm, there are a lot of things I'm going to shift. And so what we learn is location matters for every decision that we make. And so when you look at the military leadership, the, the one thing I say they do really, really phenomenal is they, they prep you for the next position or next two positions before they ever allow you to go into that position mm-hmm. because they know it's life-threatening. And so I will say that for me, you know, as I was going through – in, in that time, when I got ready to go into combat, I had to adjust my leadership style, and that was very prevalent because people were depending on, you know, I can remember my first deployment, Patrick, where I was, I was 20, 25 years old, and I had a spouse look at me and say, I'm counting on you to bring my husband back home. At 25, that's a, that's a lot of weight to carry. That's a whole different leadership style. And so what I say to her is not what I say to her husband. How I connect with her is different than how I connect with him because his conversation is, hey, I need you to make sure I'm doing what I got to do to stay alive because I got to get back to my wife. Oh, man, this is rich. So context shapes the elasticity of the authority lines. Yes, yeah. Because that same same spouse that I'm going to hold accountable, I can sit down and have a conversation with a spouse who's worried. And so what the military does a phenomenal job is teach us location. It literally matters. Mm-hmm. And I think sometimes what, what will help me be an effective leader in combat will destroy me if I don't modify that behavior in corporate America. And so in, in, in the military, 
we were, we were taught when to smile and when not to smile in a corporate America. <laughs> when I walked out, I had to really, I tell people this, I said I had to learn how to smile more. I had to learn how to just look different when I, and that's a real skill set because yeah. in the military, it, it's more that stoic look is important when you're in that role. But when you're not in that role and the higher you go up, you can't, that's not what they need you to be in anymore. So when you're a drill sergeant, that's super important. But wow. when you make it to senior leadership, it's very unhealthy. Wow, that's that's powerful. Tell me quickly about turning point leadership. How'd this get started? Oh my and goodness. It's more relationship <laughs> building and it's I, it sounds like it's kind of almost even blown up beyond like, uh oh, uh now what? <laughs> yes. T- tell our listeners about that as they may want to yeah. get involved. Yeah. I mean turning point leadership was happening. We we do it on Monday mornings and, and what happened it it came from COVID. We were I was putting a call together, um, and my team was like, Hey, you know, hey Ron, what are you gonna do? And I go by Ron, no matter where you see me at. Um, hey, Ron, what are you going to do? We can't travel. Everything's shut down. You're, you're up every morning early. What are you going to do? I said, well, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to do this leadership roundtable call. Sounds great. And, and we dive in. And first call, I think we had like 20 people. We're super excited. We got it off the ground. The next call, like 50 people showed up. I'm like, oh, okay. And we do it every morning, every Monday morning at 730. So Are these all local no, my goodness, Patrick, we started there. Yes, we really did. And, and for those that are listening, if I can do a business tip, don't shrink back. Mm-hmm. I did start local. That was my mindset. Mm-hmm. I pull people from around the world now, the entire world. I mean, so we got Australia, we got Africa, you know, we got California, we got Oregon. I mean, you name it, there are people, because everybody is, is hungry for this leadership growth. And connection. Oh, my goodness. People have grown tremendously and here's the beauty. We're just doing it. And my team looks at me packing. Like, okay, so Ron, when are you going to start charging for this? I say, I don't have any plans to charge for. Mm-hmm. And they're looking at me like, like something's wrong with me. Yeah. Because mm-hmm. we've been doing it every single week, you know, for since March the 17th, we've, we've probably invested over $200,000 to make this happen consistently with our team. And they said, when are you going to charge for this? I say, it's not about us charging. It's about the people that, that need it. that can't afford it right now. How do we help? And we got religious leaders, we got educators, we got business owners, we got politicians, you name it, law enforcement. The goal is to pull the community together. That's what I'm doing it for. So you have that enviable mind. I need more of I need more of that mind. I really do. I I get it. I believe it. It inspires me every time I talk to you. You have that mindset of you don't have to monetize everything. Yes. And I don't, yeah. I mean, I do a lot of pro bono work yes. and stuff like that. It, but but yeah. In the, in the business, when you're thinking about the business, yes. you have a strategy and a business plan and, you know, and that's why people are saying, Ron, you're missing an opportunity here to monetize something, but you figured out, and, and I have too, yes. that, that the monetization will come, it, it builds itself. When you do what you got to do and, and people are getting value from yes. it, the business will happen. And, and think, in ways that you may not have even thought that this would lead to that. And I, and I think I think we both learned that over time. I mean, you and I both. I mean, because I do help people on my team say, hey, you need to monetize this. And I think there are companies out there and there will be, be some people that will see the other side of this coin. And, and, and I'm so OK with that. It's just where I am. Here's what I'll say to leaders. I refuse to run someone else's race and expect to cross the finish line. I'm going to run the race that I that I've chose to run so I can cross my finish line. And everybody's line is different. And I'm okay with that. So what Patrick is doing is phenomenal. He, he, he'll hear me say that all the time. And I collaborate and connect with Patrick. But Patrick's running Patrick's race. Now, do we collaborate and do we share ideas and the things that we, that overlap? That's why I'm on his board. But Patrick, I'm there to help him run his race while I'm running my race at the same time. What's my race? 
So it allows me not to get caught up in what people there'll be there'll be people that'll tell us, Hey, you know, you can make this. I say, I know. Yeah. Well, I'm I'm a little more like that country song that says, I wish I could do the falling and someone else could hit the ground. <laughs> but uh, hey, man, uh, you, Ron, you got to come back on the show um, and be a, and be a repeat guest. Th- this is rich. This is exactly what um, what I wanted to do this podcast for is yes. to let people hear some real depth. Th- some uh, we've got a over the next two months. I think I told you before we started the show, we're probably going to run about three times a week. Wow! For the first two or three months, because when we launched this, just a tremendous response. Yes. From people that, you know, agreed to come on the show. And, and as I look at the list of people that are that are coming on and you, starting with you and Jim a couple of days ago, uh, just the diverse experiences and, and backgrounds and deep thought out, like real genuine stuff only. This has been rich. I, okay. I've enjoyed it. We happen to record it, but I've just enjoyed the conversation. I have one more question I'd like yes. to ask you that I'm going to ask all my guests on the show. And that is, who were the leaders in your early life or career that you would say kind of helped you shape your leadership bent today and, yeah. and why, why was that so? Yeah. I mean, and there's several, I'll, I'll share two. One is my dad and I share the story um, at different levels in my career, different audiences. You know, my, my dad, when he met my mom, um, she already had kids and my dad came in and took care of those kids. I wasn't born yet, you know, so I, I came later on in, in their relationship and as my dad hit about, I mean, he was in a, he was in a pulpit. He was a preacher, and my my dad lost his eyesight very young. And I watched him stay humble. I watched him stay positive. I watched him stay energetic. I watched him do things that that literally showed me what it's like to just serve and do the things for people that necessarily needed. I mean, he literally stepped in and did things that I'm like, wow, mm. what 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 does it take to to do that? And and I think he showed me that thing of. I can remember watching my dad. He was out fixing a car, totally blind, Patrick, and and he was out fixing this vehicle and putting a motor, putting 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 a motor in the car and changing brakes. And he doesn't have any eyesight. I said, Dad, who who put the engine in this car? And I made fun of it now, but it's, it it helps me remember to keep a sense of humor. He says, "Me and Mister Willie." I said, "Mister Willie." I said, "Man, I said, Daddy, Mister Willie, blind too." <laughs> I said, "I'm not driving that car," and he just laughed. But it helped me understand that the thing that I shared with you earlier: don't shrink back. This dude is blind in, in fixing cars, better than people that can see. Mm. But the other thing he did for me um, early in my military career, um, I was in a job I hated. Didn't like the job at all, Patrick. I did not like it. Um, but I have a large family. There wasn't a lot of revenue there for us to go to college, and I was the last of the kids. And And I, I went in the military to get my college education. Came from a very uh, uh, a poor neighborhood, if you will, not necessarily where you want to you know raise your kid at. And my I called my dad and I'm like, look, I'm tired of this. I'm getting out. This is why I had gotten full of myself and had gotten promotions. And I'm like, I'm done. I'm out. I got what I need, blah, blah, blah. And I told my dad I'm getting out. He's on the phone. I didn't even ask him how he was doing. I just called him. He was the person I would vent to. I said, I'm getting out, blah, 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 blah. I'm finished. He said, okay, you can do that. He said, let me be clear now. You can get out. But you can't move back home. It's because you're making a choice out of frustration. And, and I didn't agree to take care of you because you're frustrated. I agree to take care of you if, if something happens and you can't take care of yourself. He you say, so you can make that choice, but I just want to be really clear. You can't move back home. That was a reality check. But then he questioned me. He says, well, what did you go in the military for? Let's go back to your why. I said, I want to get my college education. He said, you have it. I said, yes. 
He said, why else did you go in? I said, I want to do something for people. And I didn't know this was what the book was going to be. I want to do something for people that made a difference for people. He said, so tell me, I was in recruiting duty. What else can you do? You're back home. You're in your own community. You get to help the kids that are in a neighborhood that you know is not productive for them. What's your reason? He said, I think you kind of need to pull it together and go do your job. Wow. That was that was the person that's always been solid for me. Yeah, I would call that leadership. Yeah. Anybody else? Yeah. Um, my sister, who literally was the one that forced me into school. Um, she was the middle kid, so I was the last kid. And she taught me entrepreneurship. She was the one that, that always believed in me, was always my cheerleader, was always encouraging. And so, my, you know, my dad was his teacher, my sister was. And I think every leader has to find a, a person that they can encourage, that can be a cheerleader for. And she was that person. And I think everybody has to have that person. You know, so I can remember, and, and we've lost her. Her and my dad both have transitioned over the years. And I can remember my sister calling me in and, and saying, hey, here's where I am in my life. I'm battling cancer. Um, this ain't gonna. This is gonna, gonna be a wrap up. But I need you to be my power of attorney, and I need you to make some decisions when the day comes. I say, why me? She said, because I know you're gonna make the right choice. I trust you, and I trust you. That taught me more as the last kid in dealing with that emotional event at the time when I had to make that that decision. That I can remember walking to the hospital, and it was time to make the decision, and and I was struggling. And she just looked me in the face. She says, "Do what you want me to do for you." I trust you. And and so for me, it's been one of those places that once for me, those people taught me how to show up when it was complicated, show up when it was heartbreaking, show up when you were frustrated, show up when you felt like you were messing it up. They taught me how to show up and make it not about me, but my definition to serve those that are dependent on me the most when they need you the most. Mm-hmm. That's what both of them taught me. Wow. Great evidence that leadership and authority are not synonymous yes leadership and now your dad had some authority right yes he did um but yeah you know oftentimes it's the it's it's people that didn't necessarily have any leverage over us leadership is you're a maxwell coach and so there's a definition of leadership right maxwell's definite influence nothing more nothing less it's not a position it's not an authority it's not management it's it's influence can how how can you influence someone obviously in a way that creates value and is positive and all that, but that's a great demonstration of it right there. What you're doing here. I mean, you're doing a phenomenal job. I will tell you that, you know, the work that you're doing here is making a difference. I mean, it's helping, you know, if someone asks me about nonprofits, you know, you're the first person that I say, I said, look, if you want to know anything that's, that's talking about nonprofits and leadership, I say, Patrick Jinks. I said, guys, that's not my space. Yeah. I can probably get you started, but if you're going to really do well at this, I say, this dude is an expert at that. Well, him. I appreciate that. Leadership is leadership. Yeah. Um, and I know you've there, th- you have helped a lot of nonprofits. Yes. I know you've had a, a number of nonprofits as clients, but I know what you're saying. You, you want to stay in, in the lane where you can create the most value. Yes. And then you want to reach out to a network of people that can fill the spaces that yes. you might not be able to fill yeah. uh, the same way. So I really appreciate that. Uh, anything you want to leave our listeners with? Yeah. I, leadership. I, yeah. If you ask me, what, what, what would I leave leaders with? you know, in the leadership space is, is become very, very giving. And, and I say that about is who can you give something to that they can't pay you back? And I'm not talking monetary wise. Mm-hmm. I mean, how do you give someone something that they can't even pay you back for? Mm. What's that gift? 
Well, that's actually the definition of gift, isn't yes. it? Yes. Yeah, it's not a it's not a transaction. It's yeah. just a gift. Yeah, find someone that that that's you good. can give something to that they can't pay you back. That's good. Giving is powerful. Yes. Ron, amazing. Thank you so much for being on the show. Thank you. Uh, you're you're part of what's gonna just make this whole experience uh, really rich for us. And thanks for. Uh, Joining us on the Jinx Perspective Advisory Board, that's going to be fun. Yes. As we, um, yeah, look, we're, we are. We're just, and that, that group is about how do we, um, how do we help more nonprofits yes. elevate? Yes. I'm looking forward to learning a lot. It's a phenomenal board, Patrick. I mean, you have a lot. You know, I think both of us bring things to the table, but I'm, I want to learn just as much as I offer. So oh. I'm looking forward to learning from you. Yeah, me too. Thanks a lot. Yes. That's it for the show this week, folks. Next week, uh, we got a really interesting group. Uh, next week, we've got a 15-time Emmy Award-winning filmmaker. Uh, we've got another leadership consultant who spent a good part of his career as a practitioner in the nonprofit leadership world. And then we've got a local nonprofit leader who is leading super complex change. And how do you do that? And how do you measure it? Lead on, people. See you here next week.